Power to the god. We are in a peninsula. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! It is the Boo Crew Podcast, episode number 28. This time around, talking to writer-director Jen Wexler, whose debut feature punk rock horror film The Ranger has been scaring its way around the festival circuit, gets a red box release on Tuesday, November 20th, and will be available on Shudder in 2019. Jen reveals her secret recipe for a glitter and blood cocktail. Go behind the scenes at Indie Creative Brainhouse, Glass Eye Picks, and more. First, the Boo Crew heads out to the woods for a little camping of our own. Anyone bring any s'mores? Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me? The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for Horror Homework. It is the Boo Crew, and we are talking about one of the coolest and most fun subgenres in horror. The woods. Horror movies in the woods. There's a cabin in the woods. You're camping in the woods. There's always something chasing you in the woods, isn't there? (laughs) (laughs) The woods are not safe. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Evil Dead, 1981, supernatural horror film, written and directed by Sam Raimi. Woohoo! It takes place in the woods, and it's very scary. I saw it in the 1980s. When did you guys first see this guy? I uh, saw the second one. It would have been like 86, 87. I think when it first came out in theaters. Oh, wow. You saw it in the theater? Yeah, the second one, yeah. And then I went back to watch the first one. Wow. wow. My dad showed me Army of Darkness when it came out in home video, probably around 93. And obviously, I was thrown out of the whole plot line of where it happens in the universe. But it was a great entrance into seeing the aesthetic of the incredible deadites and special effects makeup and practical effects, creatures at that point done by K&B and Alterian Studios. Going back to the first film, Tom Sullivan was in that role. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a fun fact. Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers worked on the first Evil Dead. Yeah, I heard he edited it. And he also worked, he was on the set, and there's a great shot in their first film, Blood Simple, which is this like low angle camera kind of dollies in and comes up on uh, someone's face. And he totally stole that and admits to stealing it from Evil Dead with the genius shot that they have when the you know the the thing talk about woods the woods come alive right and it's just a pov of this evil that's in the woods and the way that they shot it they had a camera on like a two by four and they had two people on each end of the two by four running and it (laughs) creates this really cool not quite steady not quite shaky feel like a really unique feel it's like a trademark in the evil dead movies 100 percent and the Coen brothers stole it movie poster reads the most ferociously original horror film of the year Stephen King. That's right. Back in 1982, he saw a screening of the film at Cannes while it was looking for a distributor, and a lot of the studios passed, thinking it was too gory and scary. It was his review of the film for Twilight Zone magazine that enabled Raimi and the guys to actually sell the film. It's just so good. And it's inspired so many filmmakers. Like, so many filmmakers that we even talked to has been, like, a main source of inspiration. You know what's funny is that all the people we've been talking to recently, it's Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2, Rosemary's Baby, Nightmare on Elm Street... Exorcist. It's like yeah, yeah. the Exorcist. Th- th- those are kind of like the core. Yeah, the things pillars. That, yeah, like they're the, really the five pillars of uh, exactly. uh, modern yeah. horror. Really, yeah. it really is. Of the Shining, right? 
also in the woods kind of when you google horror that takes place in the woods the shining does come up cold ass woods is there a freddy's glove in evil dead evil dead 2 evil dead 2 right in the, sh- in the shed right yeah, the there shed. was yeah. i just blocked it out <laughs> <laughs> never saw that well, think, thanks think, leo <laughs> if i remember correctly something like like west craven and sam raimi they kind of knew each other it's kind of what reminded me of like you know when ty west was talking about joe swanberg like they would see each other and things would appear in each other's movies i think there's a last house on the left poster in evil dead one oh right freddy's glove and evil dead two and i forget Evil Dead shows up somewhere in uh, Wes Craven's early film. It's kind of like the Disney movies. <laughs> the Necronomicon. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's part of the Disney, you know, Evil Dead universe. Yes. The Necronomicon <laughs> shows up in Jason Goes to Hell. There's one actor in that movie who plays both Jason and Freddy Krueger. Robert England? No, not Robert England. Robert France. Kane Hodder? Kane yep. Hodder. He's also the hand of Freddy Krueger. Oh, wow. in, that, in, that, yeah. in that shot? Wow. Yeah. That's funny. He's wow. the only guy to ever play Jason and Freddy Krueger. <laughs> That's <Lucky> great. Him. <laughs> this movie, 2016, had a working title called The Woods. And it was like, best horror movie, scariest thing you've ever seen. Then it finally hit Comic-Con, and director Adam Wingard came out and said, Blair Witch. What is that? The guy who uploaded this video said it was from a tape he found in the Black Hills woods. I think that might be my sister. Oh my god. They were literally like switching the posters oh, for yeah. it, right? Outside no, there was, the screening. There's a, there's a screening where people saw it as the woods. Right. But then they were outside in the lobby switching the posters to the Blair Witch. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. This movie takes place, I guess, 15 years after the original Blair Witch Project. And the premise is pretty simple. After discovering a video showing what he believes to be his vanished sister, Heather, Heather Donahue, James and a group of friends head to the forest believed to be inhabited by the Blair Witch. He ends up with a YouTube video and believes, that's my sister in the video. We got to go find her. His friends get together, armed with all the technology of present day camera video. They track down the guy who posted that YouTube video and they take him into the woods to show him the possibility of where this cabin in the woods is. Movie's crazy. I don't know why a lot of people did not see it. People were turned off by it. The cool thing about this movie is the sound design. I saw this in the theaters and they're using all the latest technology. They have like head mounted cameras and they're using DV cameras and all that. And you know, some of it's stabilized, some of it's not night mode vision, all that, all the cool stuff they're using. A couple scenes actually they use a drone. Cool thing about this movie is they use sound design where you're hearing things at night, like the trees crack in half, bushes rattling, like some ungodly things that don't sound right. Like you hear like a wailing person crying or howling. You're like, what the hell is that? Very, very eerie. I sat in the theater and I was, I was actually, I was scared by just that. Like I, I really got to me, man. You finally see what the witch can do. This mythical Blair witch comes to these people starts changing day into night all the magic from the first one turned up yeah, oh, yeah. Know, it, to 10 it, the first one was one of the most scary films i'd ever seen i saw it once in the theater and i got so motion sick yeah one of them now there is a big backstory of blair witch and then the whole story with rest in par and coffin rock and now in this movie there's a whole hour of a climax. It's like once it gets going, it just does not, the action does not stop. Wow. Like there's just, you're just like waiting, you know, to calm down a little bit and, you know, 
take a bathroom break or take a bite of your food or whatever and you can't it's so tense the movie's it's so tense relentless whole, it's relentless like there's even one scene and I'm not even a claustrophobic person there's one scene where one of the characters gets thrown down like a shaft into a crawl space and they're crawling through mud through like sewer trying to escape it's so tight in that space and you see it through the point of view of the camera which is ahead of her filming her trying to crawl through the towards the camera and she can barely breathe and, she's and you're like, with her the whole time yeah and it's yeah. a long scene and i'm like wow. shit i'm like i started to feel anxious at the same time this witch is terrorizing the people that find the cabin that find the place lights flashing the witch appearing people getting taken away and you're like man when is this gonna end like is this is brutal <laughs> but the best part of that movie was the sound design i got i got you know i got because I always tell people, I go, look, some movies were made for theater. This was one of them. You heard in surround sound above you, Atmos, you know, whatever technology that is, all the creaky noises or the voices or whatever. And it really, really, it was very effective. Very, very well done. Off of that, so Rachel and I watched a movie that the director himself jokingly calls the Blair Squatch Project. (laughs) (laughs) The Squatch in question. Oh, Sasquatch. Sasquatch. The director is Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh! And the movie is 2013's Willow Creek. My boyfriend's a big idiot. Check one. I said I would come on this trip to help you with your film, and it's your birthday. And we're going to have a great time, but I'm not about to say that I believe in Bigfoot. I'm stoked because oh. I want to see this. I've not seen it yet. Have, have st- you watched Bob Cackleway movies? Police Academy <laughs> two? <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> you, he will never live that down. No, um, I'm terrified of Bob Cackleway. I'm. He was scary in Police yeah. Academy. <laughs> he's much. He's much calmer now. I've seen him do stand up a few times. Does he still talk like that? He does not. No. Did he just do that in the Police Academy? Well, movies? no. He did that in his stand up. That, that, that was his whole shtick back then. But right. He, but he doesn't do it anymore. It's and avoids it but he's actually become he's quite an accomplished filmmaker mm-hmm. super funny stand-up as well as a very accomplished filmmaker he did shakes the clown was uh you know one of his earlier films that was really great he did god bless america which i love world's greatest dad is a really really dark film starring uh, robin williams Call Me Lucky is this great documentary he did. And his current show, Misfits and Monsters, on True TV, which is really fun. It's an mm-hmm. anthology series about monsters. Oh, wow. Quirky and fun. And this movie came out in 2013. So since a child, he's been interested in Bigfoot. So he spent some time trying to figure out how to do a Bigfoot movie. And he went up to Northern California and visited all these places. And Willow Creek is the unofficial home of Bigfoot. The reason why he called it the Blair Squatch Project is because this is a found footage movie. And he knew that there would be comparisons And as someone who does not like found footage movies, people forget how to make it work. And they just think, oh, I'll just run around with some cheap cameras and cut it together and it's a movie. And for me, it rarely works. Bobcat's such a great filmmaker, in my opinion. He figured out how to use the limitations of the gimmick in order to tell a really compelling story. Here is a little bit about the film. Bigfoot believer Jim has opted to spend his birthday retracing the steps of Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin, the men who shot the famous 1967 footage of an ape-like man wandering through the woods of Northern California. Accompanied by his skeptical girlfriend, Kelly, they drive through to Willow Creek to the Bigfoot capital of the world, where he conducts interviews, visits tourist attractions, and blows off 
ominous warnings from the locals. And you have to watch the movie to find out what happened. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> the acting is great. Like, you really yeah. fall in love with these people. You really feel for them. The guy's kind of a doofus, and the girlfriend's kind of placating him. Their relationship just feels really real. Yeah, they're really likable characters. They're people you can relate to, like their conversations they have and the reasons why they do this. You're like, okay, I get it. And you really follow them on the journey. He's such a great director at making this type of style of filmmaking work is that in the editing process, he was very particular about making sure that the editing was all done in camera so that knowing that like found footage can be kind of maybe, maybe the editing can be maybe not as controlled. He went the opposite way. He made sure that like when they shot it, that they did it all in camera. And there's only 67 edits throughout the whole film. Oh my God. Oh. So yeah, every time it's the actors are starting and stopping the scene, gotcha. but starting and stopping the camera. So it's almost like this is one tape that's all in-camera edits. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. Cool. So it really sucks you in. And, and it, it didn't make you sick? Not at all. No. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Passed the Austin test? It yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> it passes stupid motion sickness. <laughs> yeah. And not, like, you know, it's handheld, but it's still... However they did it, it, it totally worked. And how scary is it? So the film's 80 minutes long. Okay. Great length for this type of film. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to push it too far. And it's super charming for most of it. So what happens is they go camping in the woods. That's when it starts getting creepy because they're alone in the woods. They set up camp. Weird things start happening. They wake up in the middle of the night because they hear a noise. And there's this long 18 minute shot. You don't realize how long it is until you're in it. And the suspense, like sound design, like you were saying, Leo, mm -hmm. the sound design in this, it's just one locked off shot and two people and the sound outside the tent. And it's an entire story and world that's happening. The suspense <laughs> is scary as hell. The use of silence, it's not just the scary noises, but the silence between them that defines, that helps you piece together what's happening outside the tent is so well done. And from that point on, it's just a terrifying rush to the end. Is Michael Winslow doing the noises? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. That was a cheap and hilarious <laughs> shot. <laughs> Actually, Bobcat Goldthwait, fun fact, mm -hmm. Bobcat Goldthwait did all the noises of the off camera. Oh, wow. Yeah, whatever is off so camera. Imagine that. <laughs> I'm already scared now. Michael no. Winslow's too expensive. We saw The Willies and oh. it was released. <laughs> the Willies. What? Has anybody seen The Willies? No. no. Are they wet? <laughs> That's gross. Oh, ew. There. Did you hear that? What? Are you just trying to scare us? No, no, I heard it that time too, Kyle. Shh. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll puke, you'll die when you catch a case of the willies. So it was released December 27th, 1990. It stars Sean Astin, Jason Horst, and Josh Miller. And it's about two brothers and their older cousin. They're camping in the woods and they're telling like freaky stories, which play out here as an anthology. You get three short stories framing two main ones. It's the only film ever written and directed by Brian Peck, who played Scuzz in Return of the Living Dead. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. That's yeah. a fun fact. Yeah, this movie is 
fucked up. That's not where the Return of the mm-hmm. Living Dead coincidences end either. The movie stars James Karen, who plays Frank in Return of the Living oh. Dead, the foreman who works at the medical supply warehouse. It's got a bunch of really disgusting practical and creature effects, and they're all designed by Alterian Studios, which was a company formed in 1984 by a guy named Tony Gardner. When he did what? The effects for Return of the Living Dead. (laughs) (laughs) So there's really cool monsters and a lot of really creative practical gore effects. This company actually later went on to do Zombieland. They make the masks that Daft Punk wear. They made the masks for Happy Death Day. So they are very active special effects house. Makeup is all done by this guy, Kelly Mann, who's one of the mask makers for Trick or Treat Studios. Score by Randy Miller, who went on to do Hellraiser 3. He's the orchestrator for Fast and Furious. Great score. Very reminiscent of 80s horror like Waxwork and it's kind of this whimsical horror score. And this movie has late 80s charm written all over it. It's fun. It's bizarre. It has the oddest cameos you've ever seen including Dana Asbrook and Kimmy Robertson from Twin Peaks are randomly in it. Comedian Doug Benson has a role (laughs) as a zombie way early in his career. That's funny. There's a blatant Disneyland Haunted Mansion ripoff that's... Oh yeah, that was good yeah it's hilarious and awesome it starts off as kind of a movie for kids in the sense that oh maybe it's like a goosebumps are you afraid of the dark kind of thing but then it makes this crazy turn where i remember i looked at you lauren i was like you know like i started oh everett would love this movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> gross out horror effects and things and it's all start you know the stories are told by kids and they're starring kids but then there's a point where i'm like lauren he can never watch this movie. No. In fact, they can't even make a movie like this nowadays. Oh, wow. Things really culminate in this, the last segment called Flyboy. It just, it's almost unwatchable. It's so wrong. But at the same time, it's like super compelling. It's like, how did they make this? Yes. Wow. And they had a fly wrangler. They did. Just they in case play... you were wondering. They had a fly wrangler. Yes. <laughs> Very. Like, how do you teach a fly I don't to, know how... like, do shit? I don't know. They just fly. I, I mean, what's the wrangler for? <laughs> and they don't last very long. No. <laughs> Maybe it's fly provider. So this movie's got exploding puppies. Oh. oh. A toilet monster. Oh. Naturally. Fried rats. What? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't even know how to process that. Yeah, it's, it's... Those are two words that do not go it's, together. It's freaking bizarre. And it's not called Faces of Death? No. <laughs> Adding to the weirdness of this film, it has cameos by the main cast of the TV show Growing Pains. <laughs> yes. Kurt Cameron's in it? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> wow. And uh, what's the other Tracy, girl? Tracy Gold? Tracy oh, Gold's yes. in it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. He does not do rated R anything. He's like super Christian like now. This is in 1990. Yeah. Maybe this is why. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, after <laughs> maybe this, this he's in like full yeah, put him path. Oh, yeah. Shit. Wow. Full Mike Seaver mode in this one. Oh wow. <laughs> and it, Ben Seaver's in it too. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Ben Seaver's he in is, it too. He's young. And it's meant as a sequel to the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Astin reprises his character oh. of Mikey, and the events of the Goonies are even mentioned. Other interesting. <laughs> it's very weird. There's a version of the film on DVD that has the exploding puppy scene taken out. Thank God. Ooh. Lord uh, couldn't even watch that. I couldn't. Well, how could anyone? It was pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is also an isolated clip of the exploding puppy scene on YouTube 
with a Muppet-like troll character introducing the segments and there's no Sean Astin in it. No one really knows why, but there <laughs> must be an entirely different cut of this movie somewhere. We got it on DVD. Just on a lark. I think it was one of the things, you know, when you're watching shit on YouTube <laughs> and then random shit will pop up. Right. And I think it, the trailer for this had come up and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> What's a toilet monster? And all like all this stop motion fucking shit. And I was like, this is ri- <laughs> Sean Astin. What? This is bizarre. <laughs> Sure as shit. I was like, I gotta order this shit. Of course. <laughs> six, six bucks off Amazon. Boom. I'm like, what are we watching? He's like, the willies. I'm like, what the <laughs> is this? It's a good time, man. Does I it have audio commentary? No, it's got nothing. It is bare bones. It's, it's like watching it now, it's just funny because it was in the 90s. I mean, it's not really like scary. It, that, that last segment is really funny fucking crazy it's okay. hard to watch yeah it's hard to i don't want to spoil it but it is disgusting and that's not the exploding puppies no 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 like you'll be like oh, who <laughs> came up with this exploding and, it, and it's with all kids that's the thing that's, that's what makes it even really like we were talking about you can't do that on television yeah think that level of just disgusting you know you know how they, that show felt wrong when you're watching it it's like what yeah, are they doing more off like let's say barf like character right. of barf the guy who runs that restaurant making the kids eat gross stuff right. <laughs> right. turn that into like a horror movie oh you know put even a sinister tone into that oh my that's where you're getting with the, this last segment yeah <laughs> yeah damn i recommend it the willies go <laughs> Go check it out. <laughs> there we go. You're all done. This is Jen Wexler, and you're getting punk rock with the Boo Crew. It's springtime in Blackwood Point National Park. Here's what to know before you go. Bring a map. You could get lost out there. Use the buddy system. The woods are wild and full of predators. And most importantly, keep noise to a minimum. This isn't a place for you kids to party. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio was one of the most gifted and exciting personalities to emerge onto the horror scene in a long time. She's a producer, writer, director, and editor. Her feature-length debut, The Ranger, was the official midnight selection at South by Southwest this year. It was the opening night selection for Fright Fest UK. She's been touring with the film all over, including Overlook, Night Visions, What the Fest, Boston Underground, and more to well-deserved rave reviews. The Ranger is pure blood-soaked eye candy. It's kind of like watching Evil Dead 2 while listening to the Ramones on a Walkman covered with Lisa Frank stickers, chewing on a mouthful of Pop Rocks. We are honored to welcome Jen Wexler. Thanks for having me, guys. And that was an awesome description. We should use it in our press material. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about your gateway into the horror genre as a connoisseur. I've always loved horror movies ever since I was a child. I was the kind of kid who used to like hang out in graveyards and try to get (laughs) my friends to like play light as a feather, stiff as a board at slumber parties and things like that. When I was 10 years old, I saw Scream for the first time. I remember overhearing a conversation between my mom and 
her friend where they were talking about this horrible movie where Drew Barrymore is hanging on a tree with her insides on the outside. <laughs> and um, that completely piqued my attention. And I was like, I have to watch this movie. So someone had it at a birthday party soon after. And I watched it and it was like, you know, floodgates were opened. I was 10 years old in 1996. So that's when it came out. So horror from then really helped me enter adolescence. I got really into the whole late 90s teen horror slasher craze. And they kind of became a best friend for me because I moved to a new school. I was really lonely and I just became obsessed with horror. And, you know, I started watching the movies of that time. But then that obviously opened up eventually to their predecessors. That's when it started and then all through high school and then college. And then my first job out of college was working for a horror TV network. And that's when I learned about horror as an industry. And that was FearNet, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I remember when that was around. That was amazing. Hey, by the way, who's the killer in Friday the 13th? Wait, which, the first one? Ah, Jason's mom. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> that's why she got killed in three. <laughs> Almost <Yep>. had you. <laughs> so what were some of the other movies that you went back and saw that you really loved after seeing Scream, the ones that you discovered, the predecessors you were talking about that you really loved? They've all kind of merged in my mind at this point, but some of my favorites include Suspiria, Rosemary's Baby, nice. The Shining, <laughs> The Descent. It's much yeah. newer. That's but a great one. Love it. Nightmare on Elm Street. They go on. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Did they ever. <laughs> How were you discovering those movies at the time? Was it the thing where you'd walk into a video store and that's, or did you have a friend who was showing them to you or how did that yeah, work? Yeah, I think at that time, video stores were still around around. Mm-hmm. When I was like younger, you know, VHSs were still a thing. So I had the experience, as we all did, of walking through the aisles when my like mom was on the other side of the store and just like looking at all the poster imagery and letting the poster imagery really inform my nightmares at that time. <laughs> um, then, I mean, when I was a teenager, I feel like there were still video stores. There weren't, wasn't streaming yet. Was there a transformative movie that you saw that made it click into your head? Like, wow, this is what I want to do. I can do this. And I think I have an idea of what I can bring to this genre. In hindsight, I don't think it was a moment while I, you know, I was watching the thing that I was like, ah, I want to be a filmmaker. Because truthfully, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. And I've just always been drawn. I would make like sci-fi short films when I was a kid. And I remember making one when I was in high school that like starred my dad and whatever else. (laughs) I crafted a class for myself when I was in high school school like a course where I could write a screenplay instead of having to take like whatever actual class like an independent study and I wrote a horror movie for my independent study screenplay. I would say in hindsight Evil Dead is obviously an inspiration to so many people just because you know Sam Raimi and his friends went out there and made a movie and certainly that's kind of a something that we take inspiration from at Glass Eye Picks which is a production company that I produce for. You know I'm interested in Glass Eye Picks specifically with this gentleman named Larry Fessenden who's acted in like over a hundred projects. I've heard of Glass Eye Pictures, obviously the same company has brought Ty West films and famously gave Ty West 50 grand to make The Roost. Talk a bit about who Larry is and about the creative environment that Glass Eye Picks fosters. Yeah, Larry is amazing. He is awesome. He's a writer 
writer, director, actor, producer. He's a total artist and he approaches film from that perspective first. And he's also just like a great mentor and he loves making movies. He's really amazing at finding new talent and ushering them through their first few movies and being there as like an ear and, and another voice. Approaching it as not as like a producer. He is a producer, but not as a producer who's going to be like, take my notes or else. But really as a fellow film lover, somebody that you can really like get into it with and come up with ideas and brainstorm and whatnot with. When I was working at Fearnet, I saw a movie called The House of the Devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so good. <laughs> became obsessed with that movie and this company that was making those movies, which led me to discover movies like Stakeland, Bitter Feast, The Innkeepers. I was just like, wow, this company seems so cool. I was just complete fangirling for this company. I lived in LA at the time. I ended up moving to New York. And when I moved to New York, I was thinking about like companies I really want to work for. And I really wanted to keep working in horror. And I really wanted to learn how to make movies because when I worked at Fearnet, I was doing marketing. So I asked my boss at Fearnet, Peter Block, who's producer of Saw movies and The Descent, actually, and Mm -hmm. a lot of other horror movies, if he could introduce me to Larry and the guys at Glass Eye. And he did. And they invited me to their Christmas party. Like, I wanted to just have a normal, like, interview. Like, (laughs) hey, I want to work for you. Please invite me into your office and let's do an interview. But they were too busy. They were like, ah, just come to our Christmas party. So I went. I was nervous. I didn't know anybody. It was a friends and family Christmas party. Oh, wow. (laughs) Awkward. Larry Fessenden. I knew like one person there and we chatted a little bit. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to say thank you for having me and leave. At that point, they were really drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I was much more drunk. I ended up pitching myself to them at the Christmas party. By the end of the night, they were like, Jen's going to be working for us Monday morning. <laughs> and, and then I came Monday morning and it became a real job. So it was great. That's, That's incredible. Awesome. That's amazing. What's their Christmas party like? It's so cool. It's, they're actually legendary. People look forward, like they can't wait for Larry's Christmas party. I get emails in like October being like, do you know the date for Larry's Christmas party yet? If you guys come to New York City around December, let me know. They're great. Wow. <laughs> so going. So- I look forward to my friend Jen's cookie making party. Like we all, it's a bunch of moms. And we That's all, where you trade cookies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. I come home with this platter of cookies and like everybody makes a different one. There's like a whole key and you can see I'm, I have to make like 90 cookies the night before, but you have to make them from scratch. It's There's just rules. so fun. <laughs> make some cookies and bring them to Larry's party. Yeah. <laughs> Fess and fest bring or whatever. Them. Yeah. I'm really curious about this because it seems like, I mean, there's a wealth of talent coming out of Glass Eye Picks. Right. And, you know, I guess the comparison probably happens all the time, but I'm curious, is it sort of like a Roger Corman-esque kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, the comparison does happen all the time. And, you know, Larry, filmmakers come to him with their projects. And I think the ones that end up getting made are the filmmakers that stick around. And we all help out on each other's movies. So I've produced now five features, four features that have come out and one that's in post right now. And then, you know, my DP from this movie was like me, was the DP on my movie, The Ranger. And, you know, my key grip from this movie becomes my co-editor on this one. So we all 
all kind of like wow. help each other out. Nice. It's kind of like a collective, actually. It has a collective mentality. That's awesome. That's great. Now, Larry showed up in your, I think it was 2013 or 2014 short you did for Shock Teal Drop called Bits and Pieces. Mm-hmm. Was that your kind of like your writing and directing debut, your first project that got out there? Before that, when I was still working at FearNet, I made two shorts, one of which was produced by Drew Daywalt. If you guys are familiar with him, he's a horror filmmaker. He's since gone on to make this children's book called The Day the Crayons Quit, which was like number one on the New York Times bestseller. Oh, I read that to my kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so he's recently gotten very busy with children's books. So he hasn't made horror stuff recently. But his stuff is so awesome. And I met him when I worked at Fearnet. And I was like, oh, I really want to make movies. And he ended up producing my first short and was definitely like a huge step for me in that direction. When I went to Glass Eye, when I kind of first started at Glass Eye, I asked Larry if he would be in my short for Shock Till You Drop. Yeah, he was into it. It was really fun. <laughs> I know you did one of your shorts was called Slumber Party. Mm-hmm. And it's about Bloody Mary. Yes. Which I love Bloody Mary. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Only because like I couldn't find a way to see it. Yeah, absolutely. It's about these two friends and they're at a crossroads in their life and they one is crashing at the other's house. So... Th- One is partying all the time. The other one is more responsible. So they're in two different places. They end up playing a game of Bloody Mary and it makes them kind of reevaluate their friendship. So it's all about friendship in the middle of this kind of horror thing. It's only three minutes long, too. It gets a lot done in three minutes. But uh, at that time, I was just really into making these like short and sweet and scary kinds of movies. And also there's cool prosthetics and stuff. It was really a awesome way for me to practice and learn on my own. And then I went to Glass Eye having a tiniest bit of production experience. But then Larry and Peter Polk, who's another Glass Eye producer, who he was Ty's classmate in school together and he produced all Ty's movies. They both took me under their wing and really taught me how to make movies. When did the script for The Ranger get on your radar? When did you decide this is going to be the first feature length film I'm going to write and direct? I went to school for screenwriting at the University of the Arts. And my classmate, Jocko Farino, this was his senior screenplay. And we all had to write screenplays and workshop them and whatever. But this one, I was just so into the idea of like punks that go up against a park ranger because it felt like an 80s movie. It felt like a movie I should have already seen. It just like brought to mind all these awesome visuals and colors and whatever. Anyway, we didn't know how to make movies at the time. So we just put all of our scripts away and they got lost on hard drives and whatnot. After I started working for Glass Eye, I really wanted to direct a feature and I was thinking of what I wanted to direct. And I remember Jocko's screenplay. So I called him and I was like, yo, can you find that? And can we work on it together? Can we update it to our sensibilities now? It was much more originally of like a straight slasher, just like kids go to the woods and the ranger takes them out one by one. So we really wanted to infuse it with a lot more character stuff and backstory and whatnot. He was into it. He found the old script. We worked on it together. So while I was producing these other movies, I'd wake up early and I'd work with him on the script. And then I would kind of try to take things I was learning from producing and apply them to the writing of the script. I love the punk rock. Remind me of like Return of the Living Dead a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I love, I love the punk rockers in your movie. Yeah, oh, They're thank so you. Cool. And the music too. Thank you. Well, all of this is really great. 
to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> nah, good though. Now, my next question, are you going to punk rock in your next movie? I want to have it in aesthetically in some way right. or another. You're going to keep making horror movies though, right? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. I, I only want to make art. That's what's the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. You know what your next one is yet? I'm writing a thing, but it's yeah, yeah. not Top quite secret. ready yet. Ah, nice. Top yeah. secret. Right. We'll talk a bit about cast. I mean, Jeremy Holm is insanely awesome in this movie. I, I gotta say, you know, dude, the, the dialogue, he's righteous. Well, I like, love, he kind of speaks with the government voice, yeah, right? Yeah, with the like, government rules yeah, he's quoting yeah. every five minutes. And, like, you punks violated penal code. <laughs> Three, four, five of the Forest Ranger Department. Yeah. And you will suffer the consequences. <laughs> and he's also got this square jaw, very EC Comics look. Like, he totally. looks like a comic book character. Yeah. And when you combine that with your color palette that you use, that Lisa Frank-inspired glitter and pinks and neon greens, it is really striking like that. Thank you. That was always the goal, to have this comic book, you know, EC Comics aesthetic to it, but infused with these, like, Lisa Frank colors. Jocko knew Jeremy when we were writing he was like hey check this guy out and I started watching him in House of Cards and Mr. Robot and yeah I fell in love with his jawline (laughs) 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 he looks like an evil Superman he does exactly (laughs) bizarro (laughs) so eventually we shared the script with him and we all met and he was super into it and he started like going into character just at our first meeting and I was like wow this is so cool and also I was like this is a real movie like this is happening I can really start to visualize it now I'm putting the pieces together so he was a first full blown cast member that you guys looked at then exactly we had our we had our financing it was kind of like over here the financing's there now start making the movie the financing's never there until the money's in the bank but it was kind of it was there enough where I could tell Jeremy we were like going and then Jeremy was in then the financing really got into the bank and then we started putting the rest of the cast together well how many days shoot was it Uh, it was an 18 day shoot oh yeah wow yeah. Being an indie movie, there's a lot of like forest shots in the woods in the dark. Mm-hmm. Usually is not a cheap thing to do. Yeah, no. So actually, <laughs> actually, we had this awesome G&E team, one gaffer and one grip, which is like nothing. That's like you want two and two or three and three or more not one and one but they're so cool and they hustle so much and they're so passionate I'm Ben Duff and Abby Kilhever they're fucking the best people ever and they made our movie look awesome and also shout out to my DP James Seward who's like this great creative out of the box thinking genius who comes up with like cool rigs that he builds himself everyone you know it was very much like a family atmosphere we were all just like in it and working together in the woods out there? Well, we stayed at a hotel, but we went to the woods every day. We stayed at the Best Western Plus in Kingston, which (laughs) if you're making a movie in upstate New York... I highly recommend this hotel. It's awesome. There's free breakfast. This is also me talking from a producing, an indie producing perspective. (laughs) At the end of every night, you know, you have night shoots at the end of every night. Everyone comes back. They eat breakfast for dinner. Everyone's happy and everything. So does the director you ever talk to the producer you? The director? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what are those meetings like? (laughs) The director me tries to like kick the producer me out of my brain. (laughs) Talk about 
about the producer you used alongside you, Heather Buckley, and yeah. what she brought to the shoot. She's like a full-on New York punk rocker, right? Absolutely. Yeah. A thousand percent. Heather's the coolest person. She's so dedicated. She's so passionate. She was, outside of Larry, the first person that I showed the script to. And she, just as a friend, just started putting pieces together. She also has this awesome like New York marketing background where she worked for ad companies in New York City. Mm. And she just started putting things together and suggesting bands and making introductions. Started looking for financing. She wasn't even a producer on the project yet. Giving me images from my lookbook. And, she, you know, just as a friend. And then the time came for, you know, we figured out our financing and everything. And I was like, be my producer. So she was my aunt set producer and she is like we have this punk warehouse party in the beginning because we're like you got to have a punk warehouse party in your punk movie so (laughs) we (laughs) she like threw that party she knew the band rotten uk and arranged for them to come down and she got this uh really cool bar don pedro to let us shoot there she also did things like figured out our picture cars and i'm well i don't know it's a spoiler but there's some animal wrangling in the movie and she got that going too i've heard her talk about the authenticity was very important to her such as all the patches the kids are wearing are hand screened there's no no wigs being used yeah. it was all hair dyed yes. yeah chloe and amanda actually dyed their hair pink and blue <laughs> and that was a very important to me it was one of the original parts of the whole vision was like I wanted to just watch this girl with pink hair go through the woods I wanted to put that up against this like vintage woodland Smokey the Bear world if you look closely at the patches they're all fake band names when we were shooting we didn't know like what real band patches we could actually use so we just like created everything she got like the whole new york punk scene to come to our party and there were so many people on the movie that were really passionate about punk including like our title designers and our pas like everybody was just so into it it was like full love for horror and punk none of the cast members none of, none of your core cast they're not punk kids at all no right? they're all really young <laughs> right. so but like granite who plays garth went to a show with heather and actually we threw our warehouse party scene that was the first thing that we shot so they got a little intro to it from that and i gave them movies to watch like i gave baba who plays abe i wanted him to kind of be the like movie nerd of the group so he knew all the punk movies so i gave him like repo man and return of Living Dead and Suburbia and movies like that to watch. I give Chelsea, Chloe, I gave her more like final girl movies to watch, like <laughs> Halloween and stuff. Musically, what did you end up doing? How far did the research go down for that for you? Or was that a Heather thing or how did that work? That was really cool because that was always kind of a question mark, like what we were going to do for that. I knew we were working with Wade McNeil and Andrew Gordon McPherson for our, they're our composers. So we hooked up with them before we shot, which was good because they wrote some music that the kids sing. And Wade McNeil was in Alexa on fire and he's in gallows right now and they wrote some stuff that the kids sang and then they started feeding me music cues that I could use during my editing so that was all awesome but in terms of the music that we licensed that happened while we were editing the film Heather got connected to Mitta Goodwin who was a band promoter in the 80s and was like super tight with all these bands and he just pitched the project to these guys and he figured out albums that weren't under big 
bigger record labels, albums that the artists owned, and they were super down. So once Mitta got the sign off on those, he just started like giving me albums I could choose from. And then I got to like sit with my cut and figure out what made sense thematically for the story. I remember we were watching this and after watching this, we were trying, we were debating what Yeah, we year. watched it at our, at our friend's backyard yeah. in a giant screen and uh, <laughs> we had about a two hour conversation right, right. after the yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> film and then like horror, whatever. It was great. Under the trees. Yeah. We were actually debating um, I brought up the question, hey, what year is this? And then two things. One, I do not see cell phones or technology in the movie. And two, we're trying to figure out the year of the damn Astrovan. Yes, I love that you were going using that to figure it out. I would say that van was probably from the early 90s, although I don't ah. remember the exact year. But don't let that, that has nothing to do with it. Fuck <laughs> reality <laughs> and fuck logic. I'm not, I'm not a logical filmmaker. I do not care about logic. Even when we were in our, my color grade, my colorist was like, yeah, but really it should like, the light is here. It should be this. I was like, no, all I care about is emotional logic. And this is what makes sense. So on that note, it's not a specific year. I think of it as 80s dreamland. Yeah. Ah, I love that. Nice. I like that. Yeah. We had a lot of fun though, man. Yeah. We, you we should really enjoyed watch it. it. Thank you. In the woods. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> should be a screening. Yeah. There's so many of them. They should do one in the woods somewhere. Man. I know. We should do a drive-in or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a perfect drive-in. It really movie. is. But I do have to ask you about one specific scene. We talked about this. There's a scene in that uh, mini mart. Mm-hmm. I heard a growl. Mm-hmm. There's a growl in the mini mart. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. You mentioned wow. it. For a second, I thought this movie's going in that direction, like a whole different subgenre. And I'm like, this is crazy. Well, the growl connects with what happens in the basement. So, what's the ranger doing in the mini mart? I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good scene. That was a great scene. Yeah, but Mini Mart had great, also, like your gore is also really good in this movie as well. Oh, Thank man. you. Well, shout out to Brian Spears, who is an awesome makeup effects artist. And he worked with uh, Pete Gurner and Ashley Thomas. And they come, they come to set in their like van with all their body parts in it and everyone <laughs> and suddenly they're the main attraction everyone stops doing work because everyone wants to see the body parts <laughs> it, looked, it looked really good though those effects looked amazing man especially yeah, yeah. splashed onto the neon yeah. right like yeah. that contrast is what gives it a lot of power and pop yeah yeah, yeah that was always the dream did you keep any body parts or did you <laughs> yes. actually yes so my dad is a podiatrist oh <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> so I thought it was perfect. pretty perfect to keep the foot. <laughs> that was brutal. Does he keep it in his office or you hold it? No, it's mine. I I consider giving it to him as a gift and then I was like, no, I want it. <laughs> Did you keep anything else from the movie? I have the bear traps. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Um, and I have, uh, we blew up, you know, we blow up the boom box and I yes. have one little piece of the boom box that's displayed in my oh, home office. Oh, nice. <laughs> cool. it survived. That's awesome. That's so you, awesome. you actually shot it with guns? No, we had a like uh, FX guy come and put a bomb in it. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to shoot. I was like, let's just find somebody with a gun. Like, we're out here in upstate New York. Someone has one. And my producers were like, 
Jen, stop. That's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) That was Woodstock, right? We shot all around Woodstock. So we shot like Woodstock. Hunter Mountain is where the like final sequence takes place. And Minnewaska. Were you guys in tow with any of the actual rangers in that region? I don't know if they knew what we were shooting. (laughs) (laughs) We did get permission. (laughs) We got permission to go up to the fire tower from the real rangers. but. They weren't super keen on what we were shooting. Although since the movies, you know, been playing at festivals and gotten press and everything, we've gotten emails from park rangers like asking if they could have copies of the poster and (laughs) 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 And, um, I just got a message from someone who saw it, I think in Virginia and they went with like a group of park rangers went together to watch it. That's hilarious. And they were into it. it They're like, well, Bill, that wasn't what I expected. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a really cool element of strong sound design in the movie. Like Leo was saying, a little hidden growl every once in a while, or the loudness of the jarring gunfire, for instance. Again, all about contrast of this quiet woods and then boom, gunfire every once in a while, giving you that that jump scare. There's also an amazing scream scene that gets placed with static that I love. Were you part of the sound design process? Did you play an active role in that? Yeah, so I edited the movie and then I brought on a co-editor to kill my darlings. But I did all of my like temporary sound design, which a lot of it ended up staying in. And the static scream. And also there's a gunshot where there's like a static noise instead of a bullet noise. I think that they were just like placeholders. And then I was like, this is really cool. I'm going to keep this in here. (laughs) It was really cool decisions. I loved it. But then uh, we have this awesome sound designer, sound mixer, Sean Duffy. And he's done the sound design for a bunch of movies I produce like Darling and Psychopaths and uh, he's great and he took my stuff and made it sound better. The trailer that came out for it is awesome. It's shot like in a different format at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's got this old voiceover. People will go in the woods and, da, 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 da. <laughs> and then the screen opens up, which is amazing. Did you have anything to do with that trailer or did you get that from someone and just go, oh my God, this is fucking cool. I cut it. And Jocko and I, I was like, oh, we have to have a teaser trailer for our South by premiere. And I asked Jocko, my co-writer, I was like, yo, okay, I want to do something with PSAs. Like, and we, I started sending him all these Smokey the Bear PSAs. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so Jocko wrote the scripts, like, and then... Um, just from his initial like when you go into the woods do this don't do this I was like cool I know what to do here I put a cut together we got Ed Kurtz who's like a horror novelist to do the voiceover and then I had a friend Rob Malone like again take my work and make it better was that trailer done before you had edited the movie were you using that as a showpiece no we were editing the teaser at the same time that we were finishing the movie and sending it to South by it was like one week in February where we were like doing all this stuff and yeah Uh, the wow. director of Unfriended, Stephen Susco, was the one who told us about oh, the movie. Cool. He was raving about yeah. it. And then we watched the trailer here when he yeah. was here. Yeah, yeah. talking about the, the dark web. Yeah. 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 Like a, yeah, punk rockers in the woods, the ranger. I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> I don't like watching trailers because I don't want to know too much about what's going to happen. Yeah. Trailers tell me too much, but we watched yours, though. That was yeah. exciting. Yeah. And then we were like, all right. We gotta get you gotta right. <laughs> and then we all watched Punk it. Rockers and movies I love throughout history. Yeah. yeah. You did it right, man. It was cool. I think horror and punk have so much in common. 
just the entire everything like first of all there's so many like horror bands like so many bands showing appreciation for the horror genre in terms of making stuff i feel like there's a lot of shared values like go out there and make your thing make your art so i actually think it's kind of strange that there's not it's not like more of a thing like i feel like there should be lots and lots of horror punk movies it's the subgenre you're gonna own yeah <laughs> <laughs> the beginning I'm, yes return of the living dead is like the yeah, epitome of sure. it but. did anything creepy happen in the woods when you were filming we heard weird noises, weird animal noises. I don't know what they were. I'm really afraid of bears. I think that sometimes when you're making a movie, or at least when I'm making a movie, I take a random thing and then I pour all my anxieties about the movie into the random thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I really have all these anxieties like, are we going to make our day? Are we going to stay on budget? Da, da, da. But instead, my brain pours it into, you know, is a bear going to attack us? And what do we do when the bear comes? <laughs> are there bears in the woods up there? Yes. Are there, are there Bigfoot? There's probably Bigfoot up there. <laughs> <laughs> Punk rock Bigfoot movie oh, coming yeah. up. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, it's a parody song right there. Yeah, Bigfoot punk rock. Is there anything you've learned? I mean, this is kind of the first time you're out promoting your own film that you've worked on, talking a lot about it, screening it at festivals. Is there anything you've learned, or maybe got inspiration from? talking about this over and over again and reflecting back on the experience. Absolutely. It's really cool. You're making a movie and you're kind of micromanaging the process. You're micromanaging everything. You're micromanaging things down to the like tiniest cut and you know who's allowed to see the movie at what time and everything and then you put it out in the world and then you can't micromanage anything at all and just <laughs> it's a complete opposite and this is right. a really trippy weird experience to go through and I thought I like understood the process from producing these films but I found that it was totally as a director you know I'm just like pouring my guts out onto the screen or onto the page or whatever every day and it just is a different kind of emotional experience I think but having people watch the movie and respond and uh, review it and point out things you're like oh I didn't realize I was doing that thing but like I didn't realize I was an active thing something I realized through this process is like I made a movie that has this like hulking Michael Myers Jason Voorhees figure who has the lines of um freddy krueger I, I didn't i wasn't thinking about that when i was making it i just wanted to like pull all my favorite things together so yeah you've created a new icon thanks there he is on the poster right there <laughs> right there <laughs> i read an article that you are into buffy the vampire slayer yeah <laughs> and can you talk about why you think buffy is a role model because i totally agree with you around the same time that i was discovering Scream I was also discovering Buffy the Vampire Slayer when you're 10 years old between the ages of 10 and 13 years old the things you watch end up becoming who you are as a person they really get deeply seeded into your brain and body and I've taken those things with me throughout my life so Buffy came at that time for me and she was just this awesome badass chick 
killing vampires, but also dealing with like high school. And I deeply related to those things. And I didn't have to battle vampires every day, but I did have to go back to school and face like the mean girl and hang out with my weird friends in the corner and stuff. So she was really someone cool to identify with. And people kind of say that there haven't been that many good female role models in pop culture. That was never even a thing that I ever thought about because I grew up with Buffy having such like this huge presence in my life and in my brain. I think that she's like a complicated character. She's not all good. She has issues. That's the whole thing that I'm drawn to when we talk about like strong female characters we're talking about like complicated and nuanced female characters. So She seemed very mature for her age and the way she handled situations. And do you have a favorite episode? First and second seasons and then third season behind that and then fourth. And then after the fourth season, fuck the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, really. Tell us, how do you feel? <laughs> yeah. It also yeah. might have something to do with the fact that by the fifth season, I was like 15 years old and okay. moving on to other things. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Scream was the first film you saw, like in that sort of that got you on this path. But Scream is built on endless references to all the horror movies that came 10, 15, 20 years before it. So as you worked backwards through the catalog, not necessarily chronologically, but did Scream start remolding in your brain? Did you start making connections as you were watching it? Yeah, I think part of the joy of watching Scream was it was like there's this whole world out there that you don't know anything about. And now you can use this to go discover that world. Oh, wow. And that was so interesting and exciting to me. Horror was a total escapist space and a total adventure. In the same way, punk was a total escapist place and a total adventure when you're a teenager living in suburbia and you're so bored. I used horror movies and then later I started going to shows and stuff and started listening to bands like Rancid and getting super Woo-hoo. into <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah, that's uh, they uh, I like those guys. <laughs> Uh, what else? <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the punk bands that inspired you? Well, actually, seriously, I was like obsessed with Rancid when I was a teenager and also obsessed with the distillers when I was a teenager and actually think that there's a lot of that I brought. Brody was really inspiring to me. Just everything about her, her voice, her whole aura. And that was not a thing I was seeing in my little suburban town. And I think that I brought a lot of that with me. And I think that there's some parts of Chelsea that that's where they went. I was really into the Vandals, Black Flag, TSOL. Uh, old school. Yeah. Well, it's again, same thing with horror. It's just like you kind of just jump around and gather, especially in this world of the internet. As a filmmaker, now that you've uh, made your first movie, do you feel like with all the pressures you've had to deal with and you're still dealing with and touring with the movie and stuff and film festivals and everything, do you feel like you want to stick to low budget productions where you're like, I can do this for nothing and I'm going to do it and it's going to be punk rock and crazy and bloody gory and or do you like, like, no, nah, I kind of want $5 million so I can make a bigger budget, get bigger names. You know, how do you feel about your experiences so far and where you want to go next step? It's kind of a mix of feelings. I love being able to just go out there and make movies. 
and I know how to do it and I know we have our team and everything. And sometimes I think when you're waiting for the big movie to come along, you just spend so much time waiting for cast, waiting for the finance, just waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm certainly excited and hopeful and I really do want to make bigger stuff, but... We'll see how much patience I have. This <laughs> <laughs> horror movie, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Cool. What, uh, if, if you could choose a subgenre, what you could do next? Would it be a slasher? Would it be like a, something completely off the wall, paranormal or something? Or, you know? Well, my next thing is like a spooky boarding school movie. Oh. Uh, no punk rock kids there. <laughs> Although, no, no punk rock kids. However, there's definitely the angst. Knowing um, Glass Eye Pick filmmakers, like I love a lot of the films that come out of Glass Eye Pick, and I just know a lot of filmmakers also are directors, writers, and editors. And I just was wondering like what the mentality of that is, or how that has helped you being like all together in one package, being able to do it all. I think I was very inspired by Larry, who does all of those things, and a lot of Glass Eye people that we work with do all of those things. Ty, for instance, does all of those things. Mm-hmm. Jim Mickle, who directed Stakeland, does a lot of those things. I think he does his own VFX and stuff, too. To really feel like I was following in the footsteps of Glass Eye filmmakers, I really wanted to do everything. The one thing that I've learned or discovered about directing is that when you're writing, you're totally alone, totally by yourself. When you're directing, you have to be like a total extrovert. When you're editing, you go back to being a total introvert. And then when you're doing press, you have to go back to being an extrovert. (laughs) So you have to kind of like bounce between these two extremes. I think I'm much more comfortable in the extrovert place. So that's why I'm really into bringing on partners to just to be in the room with me and get me out of my brain. So I have a co-writer and then I maybe made it two months or something by myself and I had a cut and then I was like okay now I need to have another brain in here with me just someone to be hanging out with and talking things through with so Abby who was our key grip ended up being my co-editor because she does everything as it turns out what advice would you give to any young budding horror director writer out there that wants to make a movie go out there and make it even if it's made on your iPhone or whatever you can't learn filmmaking without making movies another piece of advice I would give is to like go onto other people's sets and meet people and watch directors but really the most important thing is like to be part of the process of making the movie did you ever direct music videos I would love to although I have not done it but that would be fun oh now that you know a whole bunch of punk bands I know. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Like, how big is that crew that shot the Ranger? Up there? It was small. It was like 20 people. So, like, can wow. you break it down? What does that look like? So, we had a director, we had two on the ground producers. One of the producers had a staff of like a production coordinator and a second AD. We had an AD, assistant director. We had our GE team, so key grip and electric, DP. We had one assistant camera. Usually, you would have several, you know, a couple two, maybe three. And like I said, you'd have a bigger G&E team. We had a production designer and an art director, and that was just going to be our art team. But then, really cool, we had these financiers. One of the producers told me that they wanted to be on set and help out in art. And I was like, so upset by that. I was like, oh, I don't want a finance person like standing over my shoulder, like (laughs) telling me what to do. This is going to be so annoying. (laughs) So then this guy comes, Daryl, and he brings like people who work for his company and they come and they actually really just wanted to work on the art team. 
And they were so freaking cool and so respectful and so sweet. And they made our two-person art team into a five-person art team. Oh, nice. And they're responsible for like building sets and getting our picture, like helping with the picture cards, all this stuff. And they really are part of the reason why the movie looks like so great. Yeah, so that's a small crew though, huh? Yeah, we had like a couple PAs and stuff yeah. too. But yeah, it was pretty small compared to, oh. but it was intimate and it was fun. And we felt like we were at summer camp or something. It was that kind of vibe. What? season were you filming in it was mid-april to mid-may oh, okay perfect weather it was perfect it was actually super cold at night though oh, yeah. uh yeah we did some pickups in august and even in august at night it was like freezing cold all those leather jackets must have come in handy exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the big prize for you we've got directors and writers here you know and they always say well put a movie in a theater yeah not so much a big deal anymore people don't care about horror but then you go into the streaming services and then it's like maybe netflix is the prize maybe not you know what is the grand prize for you where do you want your movie or movies going forward to go I think it depends on the movie. For The Ranger, we definitely are into having this kind of like word of mouth, people talking about the movie. We are really into the idea. We joke about it, but we're really into the idea of like being on tour with the movie, like going city to city to all these festivals. And it's been a really cool experience just kind of like watching the movie, watching like kind of people talk about the movie and watching our like social media presence grow and just really like kind of forming this base and everyone's been like so cool so supportive and they're just like having fun with the movie which is like the dream really you ever think about doing television hell yeah i would love to see you doing like a like a tv show you know what i mean i as long as there's something to do with the horror genre i am in see we got to bring horror back to television it's yeah. like every time there's like one step forward there's three back because they keep getting canceled that's right and, and they're good shows you know my only rule is I wanted to whatever I make I wanted to have some kind of tie to the horror genre so because your characters are already like a relatable human oh thank you yeah translating yeah. to like a television show that's what I was thinking yeah I saw it yeah. we're excited to see more thank you so much yeah. thank yeah. you guys so much for having me this is so fun <laughs> Strong work, friend. Just in time. Property may not be left unattended longer than 24 hours. You have a good night. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode number 28. Special thanks to our guest, Jen Wexler. Her film, The Ranger, available on Redbox Tuesday, November 20th, and Shudder in 2019. Follow Jen at Bubblegum and Blood and at The Ranger Movie on Instagram, at J underscore WEX, and at The Ranger Movie on Twitter. Till next time, Trev for the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Shut it off. Conda. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. It's time for this a boogeyman to boogie.